find your seats and find the scripture for today. Uh, I just want to take a quick second, and I know Ms. Gray won't like this, but I don't care. Um, I do care, but it doesn't bother me. I just want to say thank you to Ms. Gray and, um, for what she does for our kids and the time that she puts in. So if we as a church could just give her a quick hand, I would appreciate that. Thank you very much. Uh, God does ex- unexpected things. God does unexpected things. Has God ever done that for you? When you reflect God's providence, it's there. It's obvious many times upon reflection. But when things are happening, when they were happening, weren't those things often, many times, unexpected? They came in unexpected ways, at unexpected times, sometimes even unwelcomed. Unwelcome times and unwelcome ways. The unexpected pregnancy. It came too early or too late for your plans. I'll give you a, a quick side note for free this morning. If you're here this morning and your closest sibling is 10 years or more, Apart from you, older than you, either one or both of your parents are crazy, or you were unexpected. One of the two. And I was unexpected too, so I can say that. I was very unexpected. (laughs) You or a loved one got sick and totally changed your focus in life. Or you got a surprise promotion at work, unexpected, but it ended up shaping your life. An injury, a breakup. God does unexpected things. Kind of like the the citizens of Fieldkirk, Austria. They didn't know what to do because Napoleon's massive army was preparing to attack them. Soldiers had been spotted on the heights above the little town, which was situated right on Austria's border. A council of citizens was hastily summoned together to decide whether they should try to defend themselves or just display the white flag of surrender. It happened to be Easter Sunday, and the people had gathered in the local church. And the pastor rose up and he said, Friends, we have been counting on our own strength, and apparently that has failed. And this is the day of our Lord's resurrection. Let us just ring the bells have our services as usual, and leave the matter in His hands. We know only our weakness and not the power of God to defend us. And so the council accepted His plan, and the church bells rang. And the enemy, just off in the distance, hearing the sudden peal of the bells ringing, concluded that the Austrian army had arrived during the night to defend the town. And they broke camp. And they left, because God does unexpected things. Today we're going to look at a very familiar event documented by Samuel, preserved by God for you and me in the book of Samuel. And I'm going to suggest that because this story has become so popular and wildly used in our world, in our common speech, especially even in sports, I'm going to suggest this morning that we may have been looking 
at this event from the wrong angle and missing the entire point altogether all along. So, uh, 1 Samuel 17, verses 32 and 33. David said to Saul, Don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. But Saul replied, You can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth. And he's been a warrior since he was young. David versus Goliath. A story we know so well because we've heard about this story so many times. The unsuspecting, naive, youthful David. Bravely, yet almost impulsively, says he'll take on the large, intimidating, and certainly superior warrior in Goliath. Thankfully, though, God is faithful. He does unexpected things. And he miraculously uses David to win a fight he had no business fighting, much less winning. And Israel celebrates a massive victory over the perpetual thorns in their side, the Philistines. Does that sound about right? Isn't that how we hear David versus Goliath referenced to so often? Especially when you hear it referenced to in a sports setting. Does that sound about right? The the underdog that has no business even being on the field or the court or in the ring with this giant opponent musters up the supernatural moment of bravery, supernatural courage, and somehow ekes out a victory in the face of insurmountable odds. Is that right? I've heard it that way many a times, but well, maybe not. Maybe not this morning. David was much smaller. David was much younger, and he was definitely inexperienced in traditional warfare. When compared to Goliath... He was actually perfectly prepared and positioned by God to deliver this crushing defeat to Israel's enemy. First, while David was inexperienced as a soldier in conventional fighting, he was certainly experienced as a fighter, a protector, a defender of things he loved and was responsible for. Look in verses 34 and 36. David answered Saul, Your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. David says, Hey, I've killed lions and bears, man. I'm not scared of a man, especially one so blatantly against God. I'm in the right. And, oh yeah, while I didn't realize it at the time, and I didn't expect it to be for this reason, I've been preparing this for quite some time, actually. I've been faithful in what God has called me to do. Before I had this big public opportunity, before anybody would really know or celebrate it, I've been preparing in the dark, the unknown. Only my sheep have seen it. I'm prepared for this because I've been preparing. That's what David says in those verses. And Saul thought David was too young and inexperienced. But David had been faithfully serving 
in the roles God had had for him for a while. Not only was he experienced, but he was perfectly experienced in the way God wanted him to be. For him to use him at this time, in this way, the way he wanted to use him for his glory. And some of you, no doubt today, are concerned that I am too young and inexperienced for the call that is before me and before us as the church. And for those of you that are, that are here with us this morning, new with us and may not know, today we're voting on whether or not to accept me as the pastor of this church. So I'm going to talk a little bit about myself. Normally I wouldn't do that. I hate doing that. So please excuse me. From our human perspective, I get it. It's very understandable. But like David did, please just allow me just a minute. Some of you know me mainly from the handful, 15 or so times that I've preached in here on Sundays. But since August of 2015, I've been the youth pastor here for this church. And conservatively, that's over 100 times that I've preached a message to our students. If you know me, you know I love our students. So there's no way that I'm going to go into any one of those Wednesdays any less prepared or any less caring about the people that I'm bringing a message to than I do in here on Sunday mornings. It's no difference to me whatsoever other than the setting. But the first message I ever delivered to our students was in 2012 when I filled in for Logan. Logan had to be off and he asked me if I would fill in. I'd been hanging out up there and he thought, maybe this guy can do something. So in 2012, well before I ever had the youth pastor title, I gave my first message up there to those guys and they graciously listened and suffered through it. Our FCA right now, largely due to student leadership, averages about 65 students on Wednesdays at lunch. I remember nine years ago, nine years ago when FCA had dwindled down, had become just me and four boys on the football team meeting after practice, meeting and eating after practice, and going through a book on Samson. And I remember when Kayla and I had, hadn't been very, married very long. We felt like we were supposed to teach Sunday school. So we started teaching the 5th and 6th grade Sunday school class back in 07 and 08. So it's, it's funny how God works. I may only be 37 years old, but I've been preaching and teaching and discipling in this church for 13 years. Am I traditionally experienced to fulfill the role God is calling me to? <laughs> no, I'm not traditionally experienced. And maybe, just maybe, that is exactly what God wants for us at this moment in His perfect timing. And David was not only prepared by God, fighting lions and bears to guard his sheep, but he was perfectly trained in an unorthodox way, the unorthodox way that God wanted him to be, to meet Goliath in battle, when and where he did. David wasn't trained with a sword and a spear as a traditional soldier. And it's a good thing. It's a good thing he wasn't trained that way. Had David met Goliath on the field, on Goliath's traditional terms, the way Goliath traditionally expected him to meet him, David would have been crushed. And David knew that, I believe. But David, being trained as he was, was ready for this fight on his terms. Look at verse 43 and 44. He said to David, Am I a dog 
Are you come against me with sticks? Then he cursed David by his gods. Come here, the Philistine called to David, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts. Goliath wants David to come to him. He wants him to get in close. He expects him to come in close. But David's unconventional training lets him know this is a really bad idea. You, don't stri- you, you strike the lion or the bear from afar. Then you go in, you close in, and finish the job. And in verse 45, if you look, David gives credit where credit is due. He says that it will be God who is glorified in the victory that's coming today. And basically taunts Goliath into charging in and fighting him. And then in verse 48, David's perfectly prepared, unconventional training kicks in. Goliath comes forward. But David advances quickly. Notice it says that. David advances quickly forward to the line to get into range quickly with the weapon that he had. As he's done so, so many times protecting his sheep, his flock. And he slings the stone right in the uncovered area of Goliath's forehead. And Goliath falls face down to the ground. And I love this. Look at verse 50. David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Make sure there's no mistake about it. I love that verse. David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. In case you were wondering how it happened. Now notice what David doesn't do. Sometimes you want to look at Scripture and you want to see what's done. But I think sometimes you should look at Scripture and see what's not done because sometimes that's just as important as what is done. Notice what David doesn't do. He doesn't jump for joy at his unexpected hit. His jaw didn't drop. He didn't turn back to the army and shout, Unholy cow! Can you believe that worked? (laughs) If David were the hapless youth we sometimes picture him as, that would probably be his reaction. But what does he do? If you look at verse 51, he runs over, takes Goliath's sword, chops off his head, and finishes the job. Boom! He did exactly what he told Goliath he was going to do just a few verses earlier. He expected to knock him down with the stone. He expected to run up after and finish him off. He had faith, belief, and trust in action, not whimsical hope in a fantasy. David never intended, never intended to meet Goliath on the battle line and go toe-to-toe with him in a conventional way everyone expected. But he knew, he had faith that his preparation and positioning by God gave him the precise, unpredictable advantage he would need to defeat Goliath. There's nothing wrong with traditional training and traditional preparation. But there are advantages to unorthodox training. My traditional training, I have a master's degree in the arts of teaching. I love teaching. My bachelor's degree is in physical education. I was a coach for 12 years. Let me give you (laughs) a quick look behind the curtain of what a coach does. Every week, You have to put a plan together. Sometimes you're the favorite. 
Sometimes you're the underdog. Either way, you have to look at the obstacles that could keep your team from winning and problem solve a way to mitigate those obstacles. You also have to look at ways that your team has advantages and figure out ways to exploit those advantages. Basically, as a coach, you're a problem solver. Then you have to communicate that plan to the members of your team. You have to help them understand that plan. And you have to help them be excited about that plan. And you have to help them believe in that plan. And then you have to practice the plan. So it's executed well under pressure. Then you play the game. And then, if you're a good coach, you reflect. You reflect on what worked and what didn't and why. And you adjust. And then guess what? That's right. Game day is coming again. It's coming again. And you got to do it all over again, just like you just did the week before. Along the way, while all that's going on, you help members of your team grow and mature and develop in other areas outside of the game. You celebrate the good things with them. You mourn with them through the hard things in their life. All the while getting ready each week for that game that's coming regardless of all those other things happening. Sometimes, sometimes, people express their appreciation for the plans, the execution of those plans, and for the areas you help them or their kids. More times than not, though, people express the flaws they perceive in your plan. How they would make sure that the team would execute things better. And the lack of concern you seem to show for the things outside of the game. They accuse you of having a bias because of personal affiliations and perceived favoritism. They mostly attribute the good to the right circumstances and the bad to your personal character. But every so often, you win a game that you shouldn't win. Or a light bulb goes off for a player. They make a choice or two, a good choice or two, that you've been trying to help them see. Or a player comes back and explains how something that you did or something that you said back then meant this or that to them or changed this or that for them in their life. And those moments make it possible and strangely almost semi-enjoyable to endure all that other stuff just for those fleeting moments of victory. That's the ministry also. That's what it is. The difference? (laughs) The scoreboard doesn't turn off and on in ministry. It's always on. And the score's being kept eternally. The good news is Jesus has already won the big game, the ultimate victory over sin and death and Satan. But the score we keep is how many people are we going to enjoy that victory with? That's the score we keep. David had other problems. He had family in the army. Just let that hang. He didn't wear traditional uniform or traditional army armor of a soldier. 
you can read the story for yourself. You can see he tried to put on Saul's stuff, but it didn't work for him. He had to wear what he was supposed to wear. David was too good looking to be a warrior. At least we don't have to worry about that one. (laughs) Human logic points toward the why nots for David defeating Goliath. But God doesn't deal in human logic. God deals in wisdom because he is wisdom. He brings about the best plan for the most good, for the most people, for his glory, always. And really, wouldn't we just expect it to be that way? Wouldn't you expect it? Wouldn't you want it to be that way if you stop and think about it? Do you want God? Do you want a God that always does what you seem is right? Do you want a God bound by our knowledge and our experience and our expectations? Wouldn't we expect God to do unexpected things? Do you want a God that does it your way? Of course not. I don't, and you don't. So let's finish up talking about me real quick, because I really, I really don't like it. If you're looking for a perfectly polished pastor, I'm not your guy. If you're looking for a yes man, I'm definitely not your guy. If you're looking for someone that's going to approach everything from a traditional angle, I'm not your guy. If you're looking for someone that cares more about image than he does about people, then I'm not your guy. If you're looking for someone that is a robot that never does anything wrong, or has a wife robot and kids robot that never do anything wrong, then I'm not your guy. Because I make mistakes all the time. I will promise you this, if I make a mistake and you come to me and point it out, I'll tell you I was wrong. I say I'm sorry. I try to fix it, try to work on it. But I'm not going to stand here and promise you that I'm perfect. Far from it. Far from it. However, you will not find anyone that cares more about the people of this church. You will not find anyone that cares more about the people of this community. Anyone that has more of a burning desire to see this church succeed in building up the saints and reaching those broken by sin. You won't find anybody that cares more about that. You won't find anybody that has more passion to deliver God's truth to a group of people in order for God to work in our lives in the way that only He can. You won't find anybody that wants the dust washed out of that baptistry and for it not to come back any more than me. That, I can promise you. The mission of First Baptist Church Danville is simple. Sin destroys us, who we love, and it brings brokenness to our world. We follow Jesus because He's defeated sin with love. And when we follow God's plan for our lives, we bring eternal healing to ourselves, to those we love, and to the world around us. That's our mission. Bring eternal healing to ourselves, 
those we love, and the world around us. 1 John 5.5 says, Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So what about you today? What's God been preparing and placing you to do? What is the unexpected thing that if you just look at the way God is using you in your life, that He's warning you to do? It doesn't make sense. You're not sure how you can do it. You're not sure why He wants you to do it. But you know that He's calling you to do it. What is that thing in your life? What are you supposed to do? You know, that, that was David's extraordinary act. His extraordinary act was simply obedience. That was it. It wasn't extraordinary that he took a sling and slung it and hit Goliath. He knew how to do that very well. The extraordinary act was that in the face of human opposition, and I'm sure some internal turmoil when it came to facing the guy that was 6'9", that had been taunting Israel for 40 days straight, calling them out. Are one of you going to come fight me? Nobody in God's army is going to come fight me? I'm sure he felt a little bit of angst because of that. But he did what you and I have to do. Even in the face of all that, he took the first step of obedience. And once you take that step, you just keep going. And God takes care of the rest. God has already prepared you beforehand for such a time as this. And He will continue because He is faithful to carry you through whatever it is. So what's your first step of obedience today? Should you be joining this church? Have you been putting that off? Why wait? Should you be saved today? Should you, should you place your faith in this God? Should you place your faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that willingly laid down His life so that you could have an eternal relationship with God, so that you could enjoy the best word we have for that, so that you can enjoy heaven forever, relationship with God forever? Is that your act of obedience today? Should, should today be the day that you just finally say, <laughs> I don't know everything about what's coming, but I know today I'm, I'm taking that act. I'm taking that step. Today I'm, I'm, I'm saying that you're my Lord and Savior. Maybe that's your, your act today. I don't know. Maybe God's done something extraordinary in your life, and your act of obedience today is just, just publicly, and by publicly I mean walking down here and praying. Maybe your act today is just publicly coming down and giving God verbal praise for that thing He's done in your life. Or maybe you know you're on the cusp. You've been being prepared and placed for that special thing. And it's right there. You know it's close. You've asked others like David did and they say, yeah, you've got to go down there and you've got to kill Goliath. That's how it happens. And you know that you're on the cusp of it today. Maybe you just need to come down this morning and you need to say, okay, God, I don't understand it. 
I don't know how you're going to do it, and I don't know why you're going to do it. But I'll do it. Whatever that thing is. Maybe that's your act of obedience today. I don't know. God knows. The Holy Spirit knows. And the Holy Spirit will speak to your heart. But during this time of invitation that we're about to have, that would be a great time for you to take that step of obedience. Whatever it may be. Public prayer to God. Submitting to God for salvation. You've already done that and you want to join this church and you've been playing around about it and making excuses for it. Maybe that's today. Whatever it is, as we get prepared for this time to sing this song, please don't use the song as an excuse to not obey God. But that may be your obedience today, to just sing this song from the heart in a way you hadn't sung to Him in a while. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll have that time. God, thank You for today. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the documented examples of human beings throughout history that you have preserved for us in your word, God, to speak faith into us, to speak belief into us, so that we know that you are the God, the only God, the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Thank you for that this morning, God. Thank you for your love, and thank you for your grace and your mercy. And God, I pray that if there is anyone here today that needs to take that step of obedience, that they would do just as David did, and that they would have trust and belief that you are the faithful God you say you are. And that today they would take that step. We pray it all in your wonderful, matchless, undeniable name. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen.